0: In this now. This is the Rhodes Caster feature where we intro the show with. Sorry, boy, Jamie, who
1: wrote our original
0: theme song. It does rock. It kind of rocks, yeah, not going to lie. It's the big red button. It's like the nuclear button.
1: All know. right, let's try it again, and yeah. um, you can just uh, intro the episode coming yeah. out of it, and I'll All fade right. it down like a real producer. Okay, okay? cool. Here we go.
0: Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Antifada Report. I, of course, am Sean KB.
1: And I'm AP Andy.
0: And we're here with another shocking, rocking day and night of podcasting live, la 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 la, live from New York City.
1: Are you ready to rock with the Roguecaster Boys? Oh,
0: yeah. Let's hear those sweet jams, brother. Oh, yeah.
1: And this thing just loops, so we can just have it on the whole time. Just episode. the whole fucking yeah. time, yeah. That's the kind of content
0: that people are looking for. Um, I wonder if somebody gets, like, a commission from that. Like, every time you press it, they get, like, two cents or something <laughs> like that.
1: That's how they get you. you send, they send a cease and desist immediately. <laughs> or
0: they just send a bill to you every time you press that. Or the what's the yellow button?
1: Oh, the applause! Dead people applauding. (laughs) I learned that from uh, Chuck Polanek. That all the the laughter and applause Uh, are just all dead people. It's like The Shining. Oh
0: fuck! Oh God, stop laughing at me! I'm just trying to podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's just what I think the audience listening out there right now is doing every time I speak.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, I know, folks. I mean, this is what they're really doing. Oh. No, that's good, those are crickets laughing Oh, thank you The crickets our, get your jokes
0: Thanks to our cricket listeners out there We are here with another news episode, me and Andy, it's September
1: That's right, you, uh, I know you trust us for your news
0: <laughs> Yeah, we're going to send up the news today here on our internet radio show we're going to, apparently once you start using the macho man voice, you kind of feel like you have to the entire time. I want to be like, okay, brothers and sisters and non-binary friends, let's go <laughs> ahead and do another podcast. Oh.
1: Well, the new heel turn in American politics. Oh, yeah. The once uh, meek and heroic minor character, Joe Biden, has <laughs> transformed into Dark Brandon. Dark Brandon. Thanks to like us and like people I, like us. I guess
0: so. Uh, to be honest, I'm having a little bit of buyer's remorse <laughs> having
1: um helped title
0: an episode of around Dark Brandon and kind of replay the meme a little bit. And now it turns out yeah. that the DNC and also like close advisors to um, Joe Biden are not only enjoying and spreading that meme, but also apparently spreading. Basing their aesthetics for like very contentious um, conference or like speeches off of the Dark Brandon meme.
1: Yeah, I thought with that red backdropped thing that the talking point that they did it to be Dark Brandon and to look really scary and evil was they probably just were planning to do a speech there and yeah. that's just how the building was lit up. But no, apparently. They, they really, lit up the building for the speech yeah, to look intentionally like, with those lights. Yeah, they, it,
0: was, it was like reminiscent <laughs> of a scene from V from, from Vendela, mm-hmm. right? With like the dictator guy or whatever. That's so fucked up, man. Memes, meme magic, you know? Right. They, they jumped the shark so fucking quickly. Now we're on record of having supported Joe Biden. And his administration, all the things that the post left and the right told us, you know, about ourselves turns out to be completely true. We are in the bag.
1: Right. Well, I mean, in Sleepy a way, Joe. like everything that we do and everything that we advocate for, as long as it's somewhat like reasonable or popular, um, if we're doing it well, we'll be co-opted. That's In true. one way or another. Yeah, that's true. Um, that said, like some, sometimes there's like more or less direct... Uh, examples of this like um malcolm harris mm. uh never been on the show but no he's friend a friend of us he's an old friend of the show. yeah uh, he malcolm harris is a, first of all a great writer i actually got his book uh about palo alto in the mail mm. um he, he wrote another book called kids these days which is about the millennial generation really excellent book so we are gonna have him on the show if he's oh yeah new books, hopefully okay um but uh, okay, so he sent a tweet out um to uh after Biden announced this you know uh jubilee of mm. of twenty thousand dollars, <laughs> yeah, the dime store jubilee <laughs> um, suggesting that Biden do a short video type thing where he calls people to inform them that some of their debt has been wiped away. Right. Yeah. And that he chooses people who are, you know, pediatric nurses and other people who do, you know, essential work.
0: Yeah, like Ed McMahon sweepstakes
1: style, mm-hmm. but with essential Exactly, workers. and that's yeah. and that's what he said is, like, one of the most popular forms of media in the United States is people unexpectedly being given large sums of money. 100%. Um, and just washing the joy on their face, and you can kind of, like, imagine that happening to yourself. It's- and. And he, I, he started. Uh, you know, people were like retweeting this, saying like, "We have to get Ron Klain, the White House Chief of Staff, to see it." And then at some point, Ron Klain quote tweeted it and said, "Seen." Oh man! And, wow! And then on September first, Biden posts a video doing pretty much exactly what Malcolm Harris. Oh jeez! He says in this tweet thread that they should especially focus on healthcare workers who will be disproportionately helped if you're going to have the press. The prez forgive 10 to 20 K, then why not show him saying, Your country is proud of you, thanks for the hard work too. You just keep saving all those babies as pediatric nurses. Mm. We're all happy you took the classes. And then in the video, you know, it's it's Biden, I think, calling a pediatric nurse and saying, I'm so proud of you, take care of those kids. Mm. Um, so pretty directly. Wow. Uh, you know, I'll post it in the, the show notes, you can judge for yourself. Pretty directly taking a cue from Communist Malcolm Harris.
0: Wow, holy shit. It goes all the way to the top. Uh, Apparently, we're all far more implicated in the Biden administration than we really thought. Now, you say, and Malcolm Harris says... That one of the most popular things that could happen in media is somebody is just randomly given money and you show them celebrating or whatever. One of the other really really popular things in American media is when somebody is forced to, out of some fear factor, stick their hand in like a box full of scorpions or like made to (laughs) eat live grubs. So maybe. Brandon is missing out on the darker side of this entire thing. Instead of going down and, like, gifting, like, a big giant check that says, your debt has been relieved or whatever, he instead, I don't know, takes some bankers out back and, you know, summarily executes them or surprises a banker in his home and makes them eat live scorpions or (laughs) something like that. You have to have the yin and the
1: yang. That's something Trump wanted to do, like, when he was picking, uh, I think, the first Supreme Court justice. He Mm. had this thing where he wanted both justices to like come to the white house. And then he would announce which one like reality show <laughs> style. He would like give a gavel to the one that he chose. But now he had a lot of ideas like that, that apparently the, you know, the advisors nixed. Oh man, those advisors um, are stupid. Americans eat that shit up. But at the same time, his advisors, uh, especially Bannon and people like that, um, understood that, uh, you know, the far right at the Republican party, including the Nazis, um had some ideas that were resonant mm-hmm. and that Trump could just appropriate to make himself look, you know, th- to either dog whistle or or look or appear like a populist. Mm-hmm. Um and as of uh, until now Biden hadn't really done that. Yeah. You know, he they had like caved to some like Twitter mobs about certain things. Um, but in, it, it seems now they've, they've started to realize at least for, you know, this couple month election season that it's, it's good to listen to some voices to the left mm-hmm. and to kind of nod to them and even to acknowledge that they have some good instincts sometimes.
0: Sure. I mean, if you look at the amount of, um, student debt that exists out there, it's over a trillion dollars, right? In the United States. It's like an insane amount of, uh, Student debt out there, what a great, smart little giveaway to do there from a political perspective. Does it really change much of anything? It sure doesn't uh, Is an extra ten or twenty thousand dollars of debt relief important to some people? Sure, a hundred percent. I mean, if you are in that threshold you know if you are truly suffering under this economy as so many millions of people are. That's a massive you know gain for you to all of a sudden have your payments you know put down every month or you know have to pay back loans the principal back for like ten years less or whatever is absolutely huge I mean between that and the inflation reduction act, this is like very, very small sort of um I don't know, giveaways or programs or policies or whatever, but you see how quickly the media and much of the left eats it up. They fucking eat it up. The inflation reduction act and the chips act was something like one fifth, the size of what the big giant bill was. And people were ecstatic. They were back to the, um, second coming of FDR rhetoric, <laughs> you know, even though it's also baldly political, you know, coming up into the midterms with a president with like world historically low ratings. Um, I just I am I'm, I'm feeling a little buyer's remorse for the dark branded meme still. That's all I gotta well, say. Well,
1: I think the big difference between what Brandon is doing and what Trump did is, uh, uh, up until now, at least, um, it it did feel like Trump might have actually been a fascist, or like people around him are actually fascists, and so the idea of dark MAGA or yeah. you know uh, you know Trump's like true QAnon. Um, you know uh, sympathies uh, implied that you know the, the racist and fascist and nationalist rhetoric that he was using um, he actually did believe those things and he was actually attempting to carry those things out right. on some level which I don't think is true I don't think he actually believes or intends to carry out anything mm-hmm. really or you know maybe he thinks he does but he never really came too close to it and yeah. when he did he was just stopped by the people around him so this idea of like darkness uh this like scary thing um it's interesting that uh what it basically means is like politicians doing what they say they're going to do <laughs> right. um and yeah. also doing what they say they're going to do that earns them some kind of popularity or yeah. intrigue and it's usually some sort of authoritarian move right. like for MAGA it's like we're going to drain the swamp we're going to lock up yeah. the pedophiles we're, and the Democrats we're going to lock up a, Hillary Clinton a
0: Leninist attack on the administrative state like Steve right. was talking about yeah
1: and for Brandon it's um we're going to take on the fascists you know starting with Trump and Bannon and uh Gavin McGuinness and uh Giuliani uh and uh you know I think that the, the meme came from initially when Patriot Front was like rounded up, mm. marching against like a, a drag queen right. show in They're Idaho, all on their knees and, and people are handcuffs. like, "Oh, here comes Dark Brandon." Um, so like the fa- like the joke fantasy there is like oh Brandon's actually gonna lock up the fascists now um, and take on finance capital like right. as if he's like turning Maoist and launching yeah, a people's yeah, war yeah, yeah, yeah. against the enemies of the <laughs> proletariat um, and and so the guy up until is, now of course like we all know that's a joke and yeah. the Democrats are like getting in on the joke a little yeah. bit saying like oh yeah he you know you got you're making fun of, the, of Brandon but actually he's actually going to do some real things now and. They're starting to understand the power of of some of what Trump did, which is make the other side cry and scream and vomit about it, saying, oh, no, he's he has red lights on behind (laughs) him. And he's, (laughs) you know, he's giving money to the the blue haired basket weaver majors. (laughs) This like sound like total babies. I know
0: They're like pissing and shitting and crying and coming online for like days and days on end.
1: Um, It's it's incredible to watch Instagram stories like I am scared of (laughs) of Brandon is really scaring me now. You're afraid of this ancient corpse because he's because he's saying uh, Donald Trump is threatening democracy man and doing not like doing very little about it. You know what are you afraid of.
0: I mean they're afraid of a lot to be honest. It's a very febrile political environment in this country. They're I think not it's afraid. Pretty, they don't care. Well, they're just pundits. They're channeling some of like the darker fears of the say, militia types and the QAnon types who are, you know, f- very fearful about where this country is going in an opposite mm-hmm. way maybe than uh rational people are they think that like uh the un is bringing its soldiers and there's black helicopters and there's all that sort of stuff so fear in politics is great i mean i really i think your point is really well taken about like what the darkness is is like actually delivering on promises like that's the the pretty pass that we're at right now which is that there's so little that congress does or that the executive branch even does there's like this deep inertia To the American state at the heart of this empire that like the darkness is actually pushing through things or like actually drawing political lines between you and your enemies.
1: I like that. That and, uh, you know, the real dark desire of Mm -hmm. of everybody when they really admit it. Is for dictatorship.
0: Yeah, I was just I just podcasted with Varn. There'll be another episode on uh, sovereign debt crisis coming out probably in like a week. Oh hell yeah, those are this.
1: so great. Oh, I thanks. really love listening to those.
0: Yeah, but he this for the second time now. He's um, he's mentioned this real Bonapartist streak mm-hmm. that you're starting to see arise in American politics, where like Americans are. Are screaming for an 18th Brumaire They're like looking for some sort of Strong man or strong woman even Or a military dictatorship To come in and kind of wipe The slate clean Um, I think that's a a real tendency in American politics And in both cases it's like Either the Democrats or the Republicans It's about like return to like the Republican democracy in a very similar way that say like Julius Caesar Mm. was only taking dictatorial powers in order to Mm -hmm. like strengthen the Republic very old sort of tendency Mm -hmm. and one that I think a lot of countries uh, fall into through history maybe the first time in the United States I don't know
1: yeah has there ever been like well you know uh, Ignatiev argues that Reconstruction was a dictatorship of the proletariat oh well Um, interesting
0: but, but, again, still trying to, like, unify and reunite the republic. I guess FDR, right? And like it's Yeah, FDR was
1: a Bonapartist figure yeah. in a time of many Bonapartist figures. Right, sure. yeah. The 30s was just littered with
0: Bonapartism. But it's interesting because, um, you know, even despite these sort of tendencies towards the desire for, like, a, a Bonaparte-type figure... Um, You see this through history, too. It's always about restoration, right? So for the Democrats, it's like restoring,
1: like... um, And the Republicans, too. Yeah, The the J6 people thought that they were... They legitimately thought or, you know, thought that the people around them thought that the election had been stolen and they were going to stop the steal.
0: Stop the steal. And, yeah, so I'm saying both sides of it. Both sides of the aisle are doing Mm -hmm. this at this point in time. And it's like... um, I don't know what's there to restore, man. What's there to restore? The Supreme Court. You know, just
1: legitimacy to the system. Like, court packing is an authoritarian gesture that, you know, uh, Roosevelt also threatened to do Mm -hmm. um, in order to to rein in, like, the authoritarian gestures of the other side. Yeah, yeah. So, you've Um, got, like,
0: dueling authoritarianisms.
1: Right. And, you know, I think... Uh, part of what our project is is not to defend democracy and to try to restabilize liberal democracy, but to say like these authoritarian instincts are uh, correct, but it needs to be towards a dictatorship of the proletariat. Oh yeah! Not towards the, um, not towards a, a dictatorship of like someone you know uh, a figure like dark Brandon working in like or the a, interest of a, the proletariat or a military general or yeah or a military leader or or trump who would i think the idea is he'd be like the dictator of the the petty bourgeoisie that's yeah. kind of bannon i keep you know i'm got Brandon on the brand i keep Brandon, saying thinking of brand, brand, like, bannon who too many b words yeah man. so bannon like asserts that maga and trump are like trying to restore uh small capital mm-hmm. um into power over large capital and so I think that's, like, really the coherent vision of Trumpism at this point. Like, yeah. more or less explicitly install Trump as Caesar for life mm-hmm. in order to put the uh, small capital back in charge. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but the Democrats don't really have anything like that. They no. have DSA. I don't blame them for this, but, like, they are they are arguing for a democratic restoration mm-hmm. around, a, you know, a, a left populism. Right. Um, and... Yeah, so I think like the, the popularity of the dictatorship concept is only something that's going to increase more and more with time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so. And and as I've argued for a long time, there's really like no going back. You have like a highly um, complex society. Some would say even American civilization that exists right now. It's the sort of headquarters, the commanding heights of a declining shore, but still a global capitalist empire. Um, and the idea of going back to like the small holding days of the 18th or mm-hmm. 19th century is so is is just completely absurd. Alongside the Democrat idea of going back to like the fordist compromise, you know, of say the 1950s to the 1970s also, you know, is of course history has passed that by because we don't have like 30% of the population in industrial production right now. You have all sorts of dispersed production, you have a services economy, blah 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 all the way down the line. You don't have the rates of profit for either of them.
1: But to what be we honest. do have, going back to your comment that there was like so many bonapartists, you know, around in the the 30s and and then uh, some places in the interwar period, um is you have a deep economic crisis in which certain kinds of authoritarian restructuring gestures become necessary.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they become necessary, certainly. But, um, you know, the the question is, how do you (laughs) authoritarianly restructure the American economy at this point? Maybe the closest thing you get is a Green New Deal, to be honest. You know, maybe the real, like you know centrally planned like state driven enterprise that's possible right now is a green new deal.
1: Well, I mean what's certainly possible is using the defense production act to fix some of the uh uh some of the uh um elements of uh the upcoming recession.
0: Yeah, I suppose so. That's a Rubicon I don't think that Biden and company are ready to cross. There's like people on the left of the Democratic Party who are talking about that, right? No.
1: I I'm not saying that anyone's like seriously talking about it, but I think it, at at some point, you know, may so this might be a good um time to like start talking about uh UK um but oh, also yeah. the the recession in general that's coming. Yeah. Um that we're, we're looking at crises that are going to be so obvious that there has to be major state action.
0: Yeah. Well, the state action, I mean, we had massive state action 15 years ago and it was bailing out the banks, mm-hmm. letting the homeowners fucking be evicted and thrown out along with massive quantitative easing and making a huge backstop for all the um, the fucked up toxic assets. Um, that really can't be done again. In fact, the government's kind of doing the opposite. So the idea of some sort of like monetary policy that's going to a shift anything it seems a little um a little out there right now in terms of actual like industrial policy i don't know what do you think you think that there's there's a a way to like restructure the american economy in such a way that it could uh work again
1: well um let's get into some of what you prepared for the episode about um, about the strike wave and about these uh economic indicators and then maybe we can yeah back to that yeah that makes a lot of sense
0: um, yeah, no, so as we like to do often on this show We do a little economic update along with a little strike wave update We continue to be in the midst of, uh, you know, a, a, an upsurge in militant labor activity Not just in the United States, but also in uh, the UK I guess through the Anglophone world And uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that The economy is wacky right now, would you say? these really bizarre indicators happening right now. First, you have the rise in uh, interest rates of only 1.75%, causing all sorts of shockwaves around the globe. You have what Varn and I talked about, which is a kind of coming wave of sovereign debt crises. We saw this uh, with Sri Lanka and the huge uprising that came after the rupee completely collapsed, and uh, Sri Lanka didn't have any fuel or food. The government fell, the people took over the palace, yada, yada, yada. Uh, we just saw in Pakistan over the last few days an absolutely horrific tragedy of mass flooding as like half the Himalayan uh, runoff just ran through Pakistan and left millions of people homeless on top of a, um, a political crisis of uh, Khan being ousted by the military leadership uh, along with an IMF bailout loan that they had to take on their sovereign debt crisis. So When America sneezes, the world gets a cold. And right now, the way that American planners at the Fed and within the Biden administration and within the university system and the intelligentsia in general see a way out of this high inflation, um, high employment environment in the United States is to tamp down on growth, even though it wasn't actually wage inflation that caused this massive surge of general inflation. They want to basically discipline and punish uh, the working class to increase unemployment, to ensure that there's a soft landing, as they call it, that we ease ourselves into a little recession, which is going to clean all the inflation out of the system, blah, blah, blah. But uh, unfortunately, much of that inflation is caused by a lack of millions of workers who were punted out of or died out of uh, the American labor market over the last several years or so, and also like a massive supply chain breakdown through the entire globe alongside a big war. So economy's weird right now, man. It's really weird. You've got... um, Employment is increasing. You had like 370,000 jobs just last month, which was a lot higher than what economists had estimated. At the same time, per unit labor productivity, which is to say how productive, how much any given worker produces across the economy, has dropped um, lower than any decline in recorded history going back to the 1940s. So workers are being employed, but they're producing less profits, Um but this, the hiring doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. Uh, you've got a massive um, profit bust happening in the corporate world right now. You have inventories uh, stacking up in warehouses as the big push a year or so ago was to try to get products onto the shelf. We remember all of the container ships that were parked outside of uh, you know the Los Angeles uh, port, um, all of the various different commodities and goods that people could not buy. Things taking a lot longer to get all over the world in this global commodity chain thing. Well, now the opposite problem has happened. You still have those sort of bottlenecks, but you also at the same time have a massive stock of industry uh, of um, commodities and goods which are unsold which are now sitting in warehouses and scaring the shit out of capitalists who anticipated these supply shortages and the increased consumption to continue, whereas now you're starting to see that consumption decline. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very strange uh, economic picture right now where you have mass hiring, you have some wage increase, but less than inflation. You've got profits being threatened. You've got the stock market down, but also hiring is up at the same time. So we're in a very, very bizarre and interesting period right now. Why it's interesting for us, of course, is that this is the sort of environment in which we all work and live. We're all prey to these larger national and global economic forces. That's what it's like to live under capitalism. And I think importantly for us, too, crisis, this crisis mechanism, of course, is always the moment, the, an inflection point within capitalist history where capital is forced to restructure itself. And as we always see, too, there's a sort of reaction by the working class against that restructuring, an attempt to try to make the restructuring fall less on its back. And you're seeing that right now in uh, the strike wave in the UK, for instance, and also an impending uh, September 16th, an impending national railroad strike in the United States for the first time since the early 90s. Wow. Yeah, which would have a massive effect. I mean, the amount of uh, power that American railway workers have. And the contracts in question only cover like 115,000 people, 115,000 workers. But those are the people that it takes to move like billions upon billions of dollars worth of cargo every single day back and forth across the country.
1: Yeah, what what union is that? Uh, they
0: are bargaining, as I understand it, under like an association, basically uh-huh. the Railway Workers Association. There's um, the BLET is a big one, which is a really funny named union because it's either like Blet. Or it's like brother it's like bacon, lettuce, egg and cheese or something <laughs> like that. I think it stands for like Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Carmen or something uh-huh. like that. And then there's like smart there's all sorts of different ones under this umbrella and they're all they're all bargaining. And the reason I mean, if you know anything about labor history in the United States, you know, some of the, the great Pullman strike. The Pullman strike, thank you. The 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 great general strike. I don't know somewhere.
1: much, but I know about the Pullman strike. You know
0: about Pullman. You know about Pullman. That's good. There was a lot of Pullman-type strikes, you know, because, of course, these railroad workers have, like, an immense amount of power as they move goods and people around the country. You Like, the closest things we came to, like, massive insurrections and general strikes in this country were in the 19th century around railway shit. So for that particular reason, if you look at labor law, there's all sorts of, like, different carve-outs for railway workers. The um, railroad industry in the United States, which is, like, highly cartelized there's like four big railway corporations uh, in North America have been turning the screws on the workers for decades at this point in time. And workers are finally fed up. And it's not just wages in this particular instance, but it's working conditions and especially scheduling. So what happens is uh, there was a vote for a strike authorization a couple months ago. At that point in time, legally mandated by law, it has to be kicked up to guess who?
1: Brandon. Oh, well, we know how he's going to side he's, with yeah. the people. Yeah. In this instance, <laughs>
0: apparently he was light Brandon, not dark oh, Brandon. Oh, shit. Or dark Brandon on the side of like railroad capital or he whatever. He was Biden. He was just Biden. Yeah. yeah. He was just regular fucking plain ass vanilla Biden. Uh, there was something called the Presidential Emergency Panel, mm. which are- Presidential Emergency Bureau, or something like that. It comes together in these extraordinary circumstances and arbitrates between capital and labor on the railroads. Now that's a chance for Bonapartism. That's a chance for Bonapartism and for uh, corporatism. So Dark Brandon, fascist style. So 1930s. Ron Klain, if you're listening, if if the
1: uh, the mages of Dark Brandon's uh, satanic. Philadelphia Castle are listening.
0: (laughs) If Malcolm Harris has done his job and forced this claim guy to listen to the Antifa. Here's
1: what you do. Yeah. You have this commission and and like all the other, you know, bureaucrats who can arbitrate uh, labor disputes in this country. The swamp. You know, step up, arbitrate every dispute. Yeah. Give the workers everything they ask for and more. Yeah. But make them swear allegiance (laughs) to the Democratic Party and to Brandon. Yeah. And by the time that uh, you know Trump seizes power in a coup and throws Brandon into prison, the the masses of the country will march on Washington, mm-hmm. making J Six look like a fucking little joke. <laughs> Millions of workers demanding Brandon yeah. be freed and restored to power.
0: That's right. If you want Bonapartism, man, that's the way to do it. Make J Six look like a walk in the fucking park, yeah. man. Like when the libs threatened to take over the Supreme Court after they shot down Roe versus Wade, but they never actually did. Imagine that, but
1: they actually did it. And it's dark libs. Yeah, this is what Bonapartists do. They play like the all of the power structures, like the union bureaucrats, were all thinking that they're getting a win from yeah. stupid old Brandon, yeah, well, too dumb to know. Our sinners are secure.
0: We're getting like the, the the sweet union dues. We're driving around in union right.
1: Cadillacs. Meanwhile, the workers are seeing brandon as their champion not the union bureaucracy he's seizing he's seizing their popularity
0: ultimately to overthrow them Mm -hmm. and install himself right yeah so in this case i think it's fair to say that brandon missed a really great opportunity at this point by of course you know the presidential emergency board when they met were like workers capital labor, business. You guys got to work it out. That's Mm -hmm. what we're here for. So workers, you're going to get a historic pay rise of 22% over five years, retroactive to 2020. (laughs) That means you're going to see those raises the second you sign that contract. Hell, you might even get a fucking signing bonus. That's how you do it. And then the workers looked at that and said, fuck you, dude. They were like, (laughs) 22%. Fuck off. Fuck you, Brandon. So that's what actually happened. Yeah, they rejected it. Damn. Yeah. Strike authorization. Well, there was never a there was a strike authorization vote, but then when it came to like this actual contract it got shot down massively. Why and do
1: you think that that didn't sound good?
0: Well, it sounds great on the wages end, but what Brandon wanted them to do was to swallow a bunch more of the healthcare costs. Ah, I see. And also too, because this is important for people to know, right? It's not just about the wages, because of course, railroad capital, just like no other capital, wants to lock in five years of anything, right? They want a completely fluid workforce. They want to be able to hire and fire at will. They want to not give cost of living raises whenever extremely possible. But- In this instance and in many other instances, they're actually willing to concede on wages even over like a five-year period time frame. But what they don't want to concede is control over the production process itself, which is to say working conditions that make things safer or better for the workers, uh, anything that might impede the growth of productivity, anything that might require more workers, uh, and certainly... Things like the scheduling Which was a big fucking deal Like uh, CSX tried to pass past the most draconian Or they still are trying to pass the most draconian Scheduling session uh, System which is basically like this This very Jeff Bezos Amazon Informed sort of algorithmic system Where each time you show up for a shift You get like a certain amount of points Each time you like Say oh I'm sick or I need to take my child To, to you know soccer practice Or whatever you lose a point And the way that the workers, the unions crunched the numbers, it showed that there could be conductors of railroads carrying billions upon billions of dollars worth of cargo, potentially, I don't know, explosive, incendiary cargo, maybe stuff that like... Is so hazardous it could wipe out entire towns like Mm. happened in Canada, you know, 10 years ago or so when an entire train filled with with a sleepy driver filled with uh, gasoline or oil just like separated from the rest of the train and blew up an entire Canadian town killing like dozens of people like the workers are saying you can't keep us. At, in the driver's seats of these trains with billions of dollars worth of potentially dangerous cargo for 20, 30, 40 days in a row, sometimes working for 10, 12, 14 hours with barely any rest. Well, you can't do this.
1: And you definitely can't do it at the same time uh, when uh, the FDA is throttling the supply of Adderall in this country. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: And Oxy, for that matter. And But then Dark Brandon... Or Brandon Just, he looks at this situation. He says, you know what? The scheduling stuff, that's fine. Give these guys a raise. Mm. And the workers said, "Fuck that, man." Yeah, he's they, not
1: quite there yet. But. They take
0: their jobs seriously, man, and they also like have lives outside of work. the The industrial workers and like the heavy transport workers that exist in this country, and there's like it's like ten, thirteen percent of the workers. The rate of exploitation has gone so much higher. There's like mm-hmm. less and less of them. But if you look at like UAW contracts and the things that have been forced down. Uh, industrial workers throats um, This is what hopefully the railroad workers Are going to try to turn around mm-hmm. You know the railway workers united Which is the kind of like uh, Big rank and file like Reform umbrella that uh, Railroad workers are under have been fighting for 50 years Against shit like this On September 16th It's the end of uh, what's called the cooling down period Where everybody takes a little breather Everybody steps back Uh, Brandon takes a nap, (laughs) the union leadership, uh, counts their union dues and jumps into a big pile of, uh, I don't know, union stamps or something like that. And, uh, capital continues to drive people on the, you know, drive their workers across the rails, working them many, many hours. This cooling off period will end on the 16th. And it looks like even though the unions are slow walking as much as they can,
1: there might be an authorization to actually do a railroad strike for the first time since, I think, 1992. So is your impression from um, this, but then also the strike wave in the UK, there's a a rail strike in the UK previously this summer, it looks like there's more coming, plus the economic indicators. To me, it all spells out that we're on the verge of a moment when what capital would probably like to do is use... The uh, inflation um, crisis, and you know, uh, you know, coming out of the pandemic, supply line stuff, all all these factors, as a way to push austerity, the way they were yeah. able to fifteen years ago. But we're at a point when there's a bit of a resurgence of interest in unionization and labor action, yeah, yeah. and there's a awareness, uh, maybe even just on a cultural level, mm. of the power of being a worker yeah and we'll get into this Even probably more in the bonus a, about uh you know quiet quitting yeah. and like the latest kind of theorizations of the the great recession uh the great resignation right yeah. um so it you know if 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 austerity um which is a very ideological uh you know initiative mm-hmm. it, it, you know it, asserting to people that like we all have to you know tighten our uh, our belts yeah. to uh uh, you know, and work a little harder for a little less to get through this moment. Um, if austerity at this point meets, uh, you know, a, an emboldened uh, working class, uh, at, you know, at least with the momentum going in the favor of sort of a, um, a self-confident working class, is there a chance that instead of recession we'll see some, or austerity will see something kind of the opposite, Ah, uh, maybe. I mean, a Bonapartism. If a you Bonapartism. Would,
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's the, the, the problem is that like the amount of profits now necessary, or the the, the amount of profits existing uh, that can be shared around are just much less than they had been in the past. Uh, And that goes for not just workers, but also for the state, too, which relies on capital making profits and workers making Mm -hmm. wages
1: so that they get the tax funds uh, from all that. I mean, but could that just be remedied by like some types of nationalization? like some, you know, expropriation.
0: I mean, hypothetically it could. I mean, this would be a great time for there to be like a strong CPUSA that wasn't like, you know, sitting <laughs> under, sitting them. on the lap of Joe Biden. Although they they've made some some breaks I think with Bidenism recently, but this would be a great time for like a sort of like strong social democratic Marxist Leninist party to stand up and start arguing for nationalization uh, in this country. Well, but I,
1: I, I see you've been kind of stoked on the SEP, the WSWS yeah. recently.
0: Well, I'm, I, I'm more and more. I become, I think about the um, socialist equality party and I look at WSWS.org org. And uh, I see them at least talking about the things that everybody else seems to be ignoring. There was so much dick riding over the fucking $20,000 student, and so much of like a defense. Mm -hmm. Of Like the Biden administration for good reason, of course, like a debt jubilee is like a like a a good thing It's a good administrative policy. It's great for a lot for like millions of people. And it feels as though to a lot of people like it was pushed through through grassroots pressure, which I think it kind of was, you know, so people can feel good and have a win around the entire thing. When really like what is necessary is something that, you know, me and the people on my project are doing. And what the Socialist Equality Party, to the extent that they have any power to do things are doing, which is calling – they're calling for international rank-and-file committees, it's similar to the UAW um, uh, contract negotiations and the Caterpillar strikes uh, – was it earlier this year or was that last year – where you had these old crusty boomer trots who were like basically trying to – and succeeding in some cases to pull together rank-and-file workers into committees in order to like push past – the sort of inertia of the union leadership, this is the sort of thing that we should all be endeavoring towards. You know, where is the hope in all this? The hope in, in all this isn't necessarily or at least only in capturing the unions Mm -hmm. for Trotskyism or Maoism or Stalinism or anarchism or whatever, and like wielding them towards our purpose, because you're going to run up against a wall of what the unions are actually for in this country, the way that they have integrated labor into capital, the way they've integrated themselves into the Democratic Party, the entire sort of legal, juridical structure of what labor rights mean in this country, you're very quickly run up against that wall, as people have for decades. Uh, At this point in time, the real question is, how do we take the working class seriously as an agent and as a subject of history? Uh, How do we imagine not trying to tailor ourselves to like the left wing of the possible within American politics or within the American within American economic life? And how instead do we look to and try to pinpoint and try to insert ourselves, if we're not in there already, into these moments where the working class itself is pushing beyond? Because if you see all through the last year or so, you and me have been talking about this, with the Carpenter strike that we saw in Seattle, with the Caterpillar strike, with the Kellogg strike, strikes up and down. And not just in the United States, but in the UK and in Europe and uh, Latin America and all over the place, you're seeing strike authorization votes and shooting down contracts. You're seeing the percentages of that like in the 90s consistently over and over and over again, which means that workers themselves, us, we're starting to see more and more of a disconnect between what's necessary for us to get by under these economic conditions in order to better ourselves and do better for our family and for those people around us. Uh, A disconnect between that and the people that claim to represent us, whether those are union leadership, or whether those are the politicians, and right. specifically the Democrat politicians, because those are the ones, of course, who are kind of in an alliance with those unions. So, so, so that, just from a strategic perspective, and from like a perspective of hope and potential, is really, I think, where we need to be looking right now is looking at these workers in motion, and there's been millions of them over the last, you know, couple years or so, and them pushing at the bounds of what's possible right now.
1: Yeah, and I think what. WSWS does well, which, um, you know, and they. there's a lot of things about them that are really annoying and, yeah. like, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, search uh, Michael Jackson on <laughs> WSWS to see <laughs> one pr- particularly gross example of that. And
0: you'll put the link in the <laughs> show
1: description. Um, but they, you know, they have a critique of... Uh, a pretty mainstream opinion among the left. uh, uh, That is like kind of this unreformed syndicalism. Yeah. This like, you know, uh, optimism that like if everyone just gets into a union, um, then like the unions can replace the government and we can have like a union democracy or something. Right. And, you know, historically, this has played out in a lot of ways. And, you know, we have seen that simply... Unionizing and getting like one like big powerful unions does not actually change society. No, um, it actually integrates the working class into capital in a way that does make the lives of workers better. um, Workers internal to that relationship, specifically in the United States, because if you were left
0: outside of that Mm -hmm. integration, of course, if you were a black worker, a black woman worker, Mm -hmm. if you were a woman worker in general, or any other type of minority, even within the high point of American quote-unquote social democracy, you were very much left outside.
1: Yeah, we never really got what I'm talking about in the United States as much as you did in Argentina, for example, Mm -hmm. where you had you know, the vast majority, uh, you know, I could be totally wrong about this. I'm sure there was like examples like that in Argentina, but you had a much higher rate of unionization and you had a lot more power in like the, the central um, Argentinian unions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the result of that is not creating socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even even the IWW, their vision of like one union for the entire world and then like that'll, you know, a few steps after that, the, the wage relation will be gone and there mm-hmm. won't be like, an employing class anymore. Um, that's like a somewhat apolitical neutral vision of, of syndicalism mm-hmm. in which, uh, you know, just having the workers in a union is all that sufficient for changing the world, which yeah. is, is not the case because unions aren't necessarily trying to, Abolish class society
0: Yeah I mean even in the instances that they were It was for like brief stretches of time In the late 19th century And part of the 20th century as well In places like France or in Italy But we saw how that went as well I mean I'm sympathetic to like uh, The apolitical syndicalism thing Just as like a a stopgap measure As something that like Could be able to potentially harness Some of the real energy that you're seeing I certainly don't think it's ultimately sufficient at the end. Uh, I don't think that um, I'm not sure we know what what the modern day equivalent of say like the Soviets would be. But I'm talking about the workers councils. So uh-huh. I'm talking about like the 1905, 1917, you know, 1919 in Germany, like real workers councils, which collapsed the economic into the political, which became like real democratic organs of class power whose, like, function and form was meant to, like, overcome and destroy class society. Maybe that has a return. Maybe uh, international rank-and-file committees are the nucleus or the seed to go back to 1905 and, like, the sort of mass strikes that Rosa Luxemburg saw or, like, the sort of mass uh, workers' organizations that overthrew the czar and the constituent assembly, you know maybe it looks like something different maybe class composition has changed in such a way that there needs to be more of like an inside and outside the the shop floor sort of thing i don't know but this constant like acting as though we're like a, a barnacle on the on the hull of a sinking democratic party this this idea that like we can stand outside and tweet at the john mcleans or whatever that guy is the and that's the guy from uh Ron Klein, Ron Klain, Ron Klain yeah. yeah. John McClain is... Ron, the,
1: uh, John McClain is dark Ron Klain. Okay.
0: So Bruce Willis
1: is an advisor to the dark president. That's cool. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, bringing up the Soviets uh, is interesting because, it, you know, I think now it's easy to look back and say, well, in, you know, 1905, there was this revolution where Soviets, these workers' councils were established, and... Um, From then on, it became the mission of revolutionaries to empower the Soviets. That's not what happened. No, absolutely not. People, you know, the Soviets were there, and most socialists and revolutionaries thought that their task was the same, was Mm -hmm. to uh, get rid of the czar and establish a liberal democracy, bring the bourgeoisie to power in Russia. This is what Mm -hmm. Lenin and Trotsky were fighting to do, up until there was another spontaneous revolution in 1917 that they did not, you know, uh, they weren't behind that. No. And then they arrived and said, these Soviets are the organs of, right. of, uh, of communist society. And, you know, we're here to put them in power. Right, And, yeah. that, was, and that was flying in the face of Orthodox Marxism, uh-huh. of the position of the Second International. Yep. And that's when you have a break. Um, so it was, that, that break comes from the recognition of... Uh, the Workers' Council as the building block of communism. That's right, yeah. And so our challenge now is not to uh, try to see, like, the way that revolutions and massive uh, political changes and changes to class society have happened in the past and try to set up again the foundations for like a new second international or something like that but to understand what the what the class is doing now what the activity is doing now that can be the building blocks for socialism yeah because the theory of marxism is that is happening all the time within the working class yeah and that leads to i think what we're going to talk about in um the next part of the episode which will be uh for patrons yes um about continue to talk about the great resignation and the uh, phenomenon of quiet quitting,
0: quiet quitting, yeah, otherwise known as in the union world, work to rule. Mm-hmm. You know, but this is uh,
1: like a wildcat, wildcat work to, rule. Work to yeah. rule
0: without any union leadership to uh, to even call it. Yeah.
1: So if you're listening um, on our free feed from fans.fm, FM, um, go to Patreon.com/slash/TheAntiFada, and we're not going to do like a bonus thing this week. Just yeah. uh, like I mean, a bonus preview thing. It'll just be. You are listening to the end of the free part of the episode. And to listen to the full episode, go to Patreon.com/slash/TheAntiFada. Uh, Please sign up and become a patron. We really appreciate that. Um, if you do, just uh, you can message, you can DM us on Patreon or DM me on Discord because as a patron, you get access to our our Discord community. Yes, you do. I'll send you a postcard to thank you. Um, Or if you sign up uh, at the $10 tier or for a yearly membership, the yearly memberships are discounted, 16%, Mm -hmm. I'll send you uh, a postcard and some stickers. Um, And all you got to do is just DM me once you've done that. And also, if you signed up in the past, you can DM me and I'll I'll send you that stuff too.
0: And while we're pitching too, on top of uh, the full version of this episode, too. I'll have you know that I recorded Diving Into the Wreckage 6.2 with uh, Derek Varn, which will be coming out soon. Good premium bonus content, along with the long-awaited return of History as a Weapon with Matt Crispin. We'll be recording in a couple weeks. So come for that bonus content, you know, this week's bonus content, and stick around because we got a lot of great and exciting things happening
1: coming down the pipe. We really appreciate it. So with that said, oh, yeah.